Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and today we are speaking with Katie Melbourne. Now, Katie is an astrophysicist. She is a systems engineer at Ball Aerospace. She's working at the James Webb Space Telescope Commissioning Team, and she got her degree in astrophysics from Yale just in 2019. Her undergraduate thesis um, in main astronomy research was on M dwarf stars, which are, I don't know, Katie's going to have to tell us about those, but she's done internships at NASA headquarters and also Ball Aerospace Strategic Operations Office in DC. She's been pursuing this career in astrophysics for a little bit of time. She has an interest in policy. She'll be beginning her PhD at University of Colorado in Boulder this fall. And if that wasn't enough, Katie also has a couple of outside interests, whether it's learning to play the guitar, or doing ultra marathons. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lori. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to an astrophysicist and learning about a little bit more about what that is. But let's get started. So you've done a lot of things in your young career and you are an associate or a systems engineer today. And you also are, describe yourself as an aspiring space security policymaker. Why don't you start and just tell us what you're doing right now? Yeah, so I am kind of combining my background in astrophysics uh, with my interest in mission level design by being a systems engineer. And so what systems engineers do is they deal a lot with how a big, large mission is developed and designed from the requirements with the customer all the way through the testing and verification of those requirements um, before the payload is finally delivered to the customer. So that can be on smaller, big projects. And right now we happen to be, um, I happen to be on a team for a $9 billion telescope called the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, which will be launched in October of this year on Halloween. And it will completely be the next generation of an astronomy instrument. So it'll kind of be the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope that's currently orbiting our Earth. So we can expect not blurry images and things like that. Is that what $9 billion will get us? Hopefully, yes. Yeah. So I'm on the team that will help with the alignment of that telescope. So I know that everyone's feeling the pressure to get that right as we speak. Well, that is incredible. What an amazing project to be working on. But when we talk about what you're doing right now, it comes with a lot of work that you've done both in your undergraduate studies, your previous research assignments and the like. And you've also done things to advocate for women in STEM and you have a lot of interest in the policy area of astrophysics and things of that nature. But I read something about you that your interest in science and your interest in STEM began when you were eight years old. So where did this come from and how were you so clear at such a young age? That's a really good question. So I think I was just really naturally curious growing up and my parents were really helpful in that. So every time I'd say, oh, you know, I want to be a writer, they would 
helped me sign up for writing camps or um, introduced me to people who had done that for a career. And so I had always really been interested in science and math in particular. And so my mom found this book series by Danica McKellar. So she was on the Wonder Years and she also got a PhD in math. And she gave it to me and it was, it's called uh, Math Doesn't Suck. And there's a couple others in the series too, but it's basically like breaking the stereotype that math books just have to be about exploding cars and all these like very male dominated examples in their uh, mathematical learning. And this one is more like, oh, you know, Patricia wants to go to the mall and buy makeup with her friends. And if she buys a certain amount, what would that look like um, in terms of like a pre-algebra kind of problem? And so I saw that Danica McKellar had this thing called a PhD on the title of her, her book. Um, she said Danica McKellar PhD. And so I asked my mom what that was. And she said, well, you know, she made a unique contribution to the field of mathematics. And so I sit down with my, you know, sparkly pen and my rainbow notepad and say, I'm going to make a unique theorem and contribute to mathematics. And I'm eight years old, just messing around and end up getting one equals zero. And I thought I broke math. So, you know, I took that away for safekeeping. <laughs> um, but at that point I decided that, you know, I wanted to get a PhD. I don't think I really knew what that meant at the time, but I kept exploring science, ended up going to a public sky night in astronomy. And that's kind of how I got in the astronomy path. Well, that is amazing. And I love this image of a sparkly pen and one equals zero. And um, I, I don't think you broke math because of the telescope and the <laughs> work that you're doing right now, thankfully. But let's let's go back a little bit just in that, you know, you also are acutely aware that women in STEM are underrepresented. And I have to imagine that you are seeing that in some of the very specific technical work that you're doing um, right now. And you've also had uh, um, efforts to advocate for women in STEM. Now, I, re I remember this. I remember fifth grade being in a class that was all about motors and science and having mm -hmm. my teacher tell me as a girl that, you know, I wouldn't do as well just because girls don't do well in science. But that was decades ago, Katie, but you started to see some of these differences early on. So tell us when you started to notice that there were some gender differences. Yeah, so I'd say the first major time I noticed it was when I was 15 or 16 in my AP physics class. So I'd kind of taught myself honors physics on through an online course in order to prepare for AP physics. Instead of doing the traditional route of taking it at high school, I just I wanted to take too many classes. So I had to take it outside. And I noticed that so there were four women out of a class of like 22 people. And three of us had actually done the online route as well. So we didn't, we hadn't even taken physics at the high school yet. And it was a little intimidating to think that, you know, sometimes I had to work a lot harder than, you know, I had a partner at the time and he would open, it seemed like he would open up the textbook right away and just understand things. Um, and I would have to do the homework and redo the homework. And my professor was a female. So that really helped. She basically encouraged me not to drop the class when I thought I was failing. And I ended up being able to work really hard and do well in it. But it's really intimidating to be in an environment where there's not a lot of people that look like you. And I kind of continued on in college. But luckily, I ended up graduating in 2019 with four females and only four females in astrophysics. There were no other people. It was just the four of us. So that was pretty incredible to graduate in that type of environment later on. And it also creates sort of a bonding experience. So obviously you have a lot of your own self-directed energy. I mean, to do online classes to get sort of in those advanced classes back in high school, but it also seems like you tend to 
gravitate towards groups of others. So Yale in physics is, uh, I'm sorry, Yale Women in Physics was a group that you were involved in and led. Tell us about that group and how it helped you. Yeah, they were incredible. So Yale Women in Physics was comprised of most of the women who did physics at Yale, obviously, um, but it was also the professors were also really involved in it too. I didn't realize we were so lucky at Yale to have six female faculty in physics. Apparently that's very rare and actually just a very large number for most physics departments to have. But even then they would be super involved. They would have lunches with us and tell us about some of the issues they'd face, but also um, would be just the people we could go to when we were struggling the most. So having women in physics was a very formalized path to getting uh, mentorship from the people who we needed it from the most. Um, and I remember talking to one female professor in particular after I had basically gotten almost almost failed my math multivariable calculus class my freshman year of college and decided to drop out on the second to last day and take a W in the class. And she said, I was crying in her office and she's like, you know, you can still be a physicist even if you have to retake multivariable calculus. And just having especially a woman tell me that and like having women in physics to back me up in that path. Um, every time I felt doubt was the most valuable thing that I experienced in undergrad. Well, it also really speaks to the fact that role models matter. And when you're in such a technical field that you obviously have such excitement about to have um, more than just one other person to perhaps look to that looks like you that can give you that supporting advice really matters. But you have spent some time researching this a little bit further. So not just experiencing it, but also trying to dissect a little bit about why role models matter, why they matter so much for women um, in STEM you've written about that. And I think that some of your ideas about emotional intelligence and advice that you gave or through the research that you drew out um, were some really important concepts. Could you speak to that a bit in terms of what you think is important for women in STEM and the types of things that people um, can either do or understand to be helpful to promoting women in STEM? Yeah, I think that realizing that everyone needs different levels of encouragement is really important. You're referring to the paper that I wrote for my emotional intelligence class in college, actually. Um, and that was really fun to kind of combine the psychology and something that I was really interested in, which is like promoting diversity in physics. So I think encouraging people as much as they need is really important. And that, that can be, you know, mixed between the genders as well. But I think sometimes experts in the field will say, oh, you know, this is a really simple concept or something like that and really alienate people who maybe need one or two more times hearing that in order to understand it. So that's one big thing. Another big thing is showing people a path forward. I think a lot of people might not have grown up with scientists for parents, especially women and gender and uh, racial minorities. And so showing people how you can get from point A and taking your freshman physics class to point XYZ of being a professor in physics, for example, and teaching them about those different options is really important. Um, and that's something really exciting is that there's a couple new fellowship programs actually that were either fun founded in the past couple of years or were currently founded this year actually that 
support that type of diversity in STEM. There's the Brooke Owens Fellowship, which I was a part of, which um, supports all gender minorities in STEM. So if you're a gender minority undergraduate, you can be matched to an aerospace industry company for a paid summer internship and get that mentorship that you need. Um, and same with the Patty Grace Smith Fellowship that's new for specifically Black undergrads in aerospace. And then there's um, the Zed Factor Fellowship, which is new also for any underrepresented minority. So all of these are really good ways of like showing people a specific path forward in their field of STEM. Well, also in terms of seeking those types of opportunities out so that you can surround yourself with people who can mentor you, I think is really terrific advice. The other thing that I like, and maybe you could comment on is how small interventions matter. So saying things like, hey, really terrific job, that was challenging. Those small pieces of encouragement or the opposite discouragement actually matter, particularly when you're in a category of other. So in science, other, less less women, um, those types of things matter. Is that something you've experienced, Katie, or is that something that you just learned through study? Oh, I'm so glad you touched on that. Actually, yeah, so I have learned firsthand that that matters. Like I said, the professor that told me I can still do it when I failed. And this has happened actually throughout my career. It's really intimidating to start as a, um, you know, new hire employee. I was a physics, I had a, I have a physics and astronomy background, which is relevant to what I do in my work, but I'm not an engineer by training. And so when my colleagues, um, I have one in particular who is just a wonderful mentor and role model, she will tell me, you know, that was specifically a very good job you did. And she'll point out exactly why. And that just gives me so much more confidence going forward. Yeah. And, and it also matters in terms of just like noticing those things and saying them. And so I think that's a lesson for also so many people who have influence and power over the young learners um, that are out there. Well, let's go back to a little bit more about you. And so Katie, you also have an interest in policy. You did work at NASA in terms of research there. So what's the interest in policy? Why is that intriguing to you? Yeah, so I really love research and I was really interested in, you know, uncovering the mysteries of our universe through astronomy and data analysis, but I didn't know for sure that I wanted to be a professor. So I was kind of exploring alternate career paths in education and policy. And I came across the NASA internship for international relations. And so they have an entire office, as you might imagine, you know, you always hear about how NASA works with Russia to launch our astronauts up to the ISS, well, before SpaceX and everything like that. But they still use that partnership a lot. And as you can imagine, they have an entire team dedicated just to forming those diplomatic relationships. And so through that internship, I got exposed to all the different ways space policy is made in DC. I got to sit in on hearings on the Hill I got to talk to people who were high up in, you know, the Commerce Department and things like that, who were just doing incredible things for um, laying down the future of space development, basically. And so I decided, you know, there's a couple different paths. There's science advocacy, so more on the side of science needs funding, and they need people in the government who understand science in order to get said funding. And because we want our leaders to understand science as well, but there's also space policy. So working on more of the commercial side and developing regulations around the launch of satellites and the development of different payloads and things like that. And I decided that's what interested me most after working at Ball. And so I'm kind of working towards a career in space domain awareness, which is basically looking at how we can track satellites, look at images of satellites moving across the sky and determine their intent they're, um, the way they're moving, if they're getting close to other satellites, things like that, um, so that we can best have an idea of what the space environment looks like in order to make it sustainable for future generations. 
Well, this is just like a lot of really interesting things that you're covering and you're exploring many different aspects of a, a broad and technical field. But Katie, you also have many other interests. You're a pretty accomplished uh, clarinet player. You've done marching bands. You're a marathoner. And now I understand ultra marathoner. So first of all, you know, why are other interests important to you and how do you fit them in? I mean, it just sounds like you're super busy um, and yet, you know, ultra marathons, I can't even and I can't even, you know, wrap my head around how you have time for that. Yeah, honestly, those are the other things that keep me balanced. I find that, you know, everyone is super different and some people dive into their field and can think about it 24 seven and really innovate by doing, you know, being very focused on one thing, but I found that I work really well with balance. And so running is a way for me to clear my head. And I used to run in high school, but then I kind of lost touch with it in college, picked up marathoning just because it was something that I could achieve on my own. And I was really proud of, you know, being able to pick a goal that was 10 months away and work toward it. So I found a lot of parallels in my work on in science to running because of that long-term goal and the consistent effort over months to get where you want to go. Um, so that's kind of how I think about running day to day. And I wish I still played clarinet, but now I've kind of switched over to guitar for fun. But yeah, like I said, just keeping that balance makes me more motivated to do the things that I enjoy professionally as well, because otherwise I would get very burnt out as much as I love space, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And also sort of having sort of, you know, time to decompress from the effort that you put into your profession. Um, and you have a lot of effort going into um, that profession makes makes a lot of sense. So th that's really terrific. And thanks for sharing it. But I want to move to something um, a little bit different, Katie. I mean, you and I have something in common. We're from Boulder. You live in Boulder right now. And I live in Boulder. And there's recently a really difficult, awful mass shooting there at a supermarket that we both frequent. And so I know this is imp impacting you. What are you thinking about right now? Those are one of the things that really take you off balance a bit from what you're focused on. How are you thinking about it? Yeah, I, you know, I feel like we've become a little desensitized to seeing these things in the news. And I certainly get sad after every single mass shooting I've heard about in the last decade, honestly, but it was incredible how hard it hit me because you know, my, my partner lives across the street. I, between the two of us were in that store every day. And so to know that it could have been us was just added a layer of reality to it, I think. So I, you know, I've, along with the policy that I'm, I'm trying to do in space, I think it's so important to stay grounded in the policies that can help us in our day-to-day -day lives here. So it's finding that those ways to take meaningful action so that you do not get so lost in the despair of it all. So I've, you know, reached out to Moms Demand Action and things like that to try to get involved in their local chapters and feel like I can do something. But yeah, that 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 also, you know, makes me want to do something bigger and grander in the future, like maybe running for office or something like that. So there's just a lot of ways to get involved, but it's really, really hard not to feel helpless in such a horrifying situation. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to ask about that, I really appreciate you sharing that, Katie, is just that you are very inspiring in what you do and how you think about just your work in astrophysics and in space. And then life events can be very jarring and they take you in different directions, whether emotionally or what you want to work towards. So I really appreciate you sharing how you're processing that and then also thinking about action um, in terms of your orientation. So 
just with um, uh, moving off of that and thinking about what's ahead for Katie. And as you look to the future, you're pursuing your PhD. What are you thinking about what's next or what you want to pursue after October 31st when this fantastic telescope comes to life? Yeah, I'm so excited for the balance I'm going to have doing my PhD and work at the same time. I know it's going to be incredibly difficult. I am not naive about that for sure. But I do think I will be a lot more grounded in my studies with my full-time job as well. So I'm excited to be part of the web commissioning team. So after it launches, we have about six months where we're working on aligning the telescopes. So hopefully I'll be part of the team that does that um, 24-hour shift work. And after that, I'm excited to also integrate my research for my PhD into what I'm doing at Ball. Um, so hopefully we'll, I'll be able to figure out a way to do that because um, I know that space domain awareness is a growing field for many different aerospace industry companies. So I'm, I'm again, not an engineer by training. So this will be my first foray into engineering courses. And I can't wait to have such an, a wonderful advisor at CU Boulder and also uh, be able to work on policy with that as well. I know he's very interested and excited about my interest in policy. Um, so I'll definitely find a way to integrate that into my technical training. Well, Katie, those are a lot of big dreams and aspirations. And I just, from the sounds, sounds to me like they're going to come true for you. So I'm really excited to be following you as you go forward and advance. As we close out this discussion on inspiring women and other younger women who are at the beginning stages of their careers, what advice might you give others or what questions might you have for people who have already made it um, at the pinnacles of their career? Oh, that's such a good question. For the people still coming up and exploring, I think it's really important to not let people try to pull you in the direction that they think that you should go in. Um, you might hear a lot that, oh, you know, you'd be a really great researcher or you'd be really great at this, but that's not ultimately what you want to do. So I think really taking the time to self-reflect and figure out what you want most from life or from your technical career, or whatever you choose to do is so important. And I'm still working on that myself. And then as far as people I'm looking at in the future, I'm excited to learn how to, how to progress in my career and how to make these lateral moves into new fields with confidence and really just kind of hit, hit the ground running whenever I make one of those transitions. That's something I'm definitely still working on um, and would love to hear more about from people who have a lot more experience than I do. I'll be sure to ask those questions, Katie. I think you're off to a great start. This has been a fantastic conversation. We have been talking to Katie Melbourne on Inspiring Women. Katie, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. This has been wonderful. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.